Hello everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, 30 minutes of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Svela. I live in Joshua Tree, and I'm pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond, here on Radio Free, Joshua Tree. I'm recording this program for you on the cusp of the full moon known as the Hunter's Moon, just before Halloween. Halloween, the confluence of Samhain and the Roman Catholic holidays of All Saints' Eve, All Souls' Eve, All Hallows' Eve. This time of year is a very potent time as we turn to the darkness and move closer to the solstice. The veil, as some would say, is very thin. This is what's often called a liminal time, an in-between time. And in liminal spaces and times, lots of things can happen. Things that don't always happen in the broad, bright light of summer, or even in the depths of the darkness of winter. One of those happenings is increased contact with the other side. From around the world and across time, experiences have come down to us in the form of religion, myth, and story about the spiritual realm and spiritual beings that populate it. These beings are imagined in various forms and by various names as gods, demons, shades, genies, fairies, angels, spirits, saints and demons, ancestors. And today I want to tell you a little bit about Dia de Muertos, the Day of the Dead, and an Aztec myth about the god Quetzalcoatl, known as the Feathered Serpent. But before I do, I just want to pause for a moment to reflect on our feelings or acceptance about these experiences of the other side and the stories and the myths that we have inherited In mainstream Western culture, this type of thing is on the margin. And when we do make room for it, for psychic facts and experiences, because these are experiences of the psychic dimension, we typically call them mysticism. And mysticism isn't a bad word, but it's often applied to Experiences that seem reasonable, but are somehow not translatable in terms of our own personal experience. If somebody tells me that they were abducted by a UFO, for example, I'm not going to write that off completely, but I don't really know what that is. And I may kind of put that in a little shoebox. Now, I think that's somewhat natural. But the problem with this idea of mysticism and the way that that word usually gets used is that we juxtapose it against the scientific. And I think that's a mistake. We've come to do that out of common usage because we limit the meaning of the word science to a knowledge of the material and the visible. But science is really a knowing or a knowledge 
of everything that exists. Synchronicity, consciousness, morphic fields, you know, these are all areas that scientists like Rupert Sheldrake, for example, are attempting to explore, and yet they are dismissed and vilified for attempting to extend the scientific method to non-material phenomenon. So here we are at a time of year that has been historically recognized by our ancestors as a potent one for contact with spirits or experiences of psychic phenomenon. And it's a good time to ask ourselves, what are we afraid of? Devils? The unknown? And do we, you and I, collectively conspire, perhaps unconsciously, to maintain that divide between the scientific and the mystical? To maintain a divide that is not only an illusion or a delusion of materialism, and so a limit to our scientific knowledge, but also a limit to our lived experience of community and value and meaning. I find this particularly interesting in the context of ancestors, that which could link us to a continuum that goes past into the past. We live so much of our lives projecting into the future and, of course, imagining that we will always be there in that future. And that is another theme of this time and of today's topic, death. So you might want to consider whether or not you have experiences that you feel like you need to hide or whether or not you're quick to put things on the fringe that you don't completely understand. I think it's kind of ironic that Western culture is so obsessed with the material when our societies are ruled by one of the most abstract and bodiless gods that has ever been created. And by that, I mean the economy and his or her handmaiden money. How these gods work is a big topic for another day. But I also invite you to consider how you worship and sacrifice to these unseen gods and what value this practice lends to your life. So various forms of spiritual beings listed ancestors. That is our focus today, talking about the Day of the Dead. And I'm going to go through this in the hope that these ideas and images feed your imagination and your sense of this time, the possibilities here, the invisible realms, and even death. Death, another thing that we're taught to deny. If you think about death, you're morbid, quote-unquote. But death is what gives sweetness and value to life. If we lived forever, we wouldn't value a day as much as we do when we are conscious of the fact that it might be our last. Death is also a valuable instructor in the best way to live. This is a central wisdom in the Tibetan Buddhism. And if you're familiar with Carlos Castaneda and his teacher Don Juan, you might recall a important piece of advice that Castaneda got. Let death be your advisor. Now, a central figure in the Day of the Dead is Santa Muerta, Lady of the Dead. 
and she is associated with healing and safe passage to the afterlife. So if you see all those female skeletons and you wonder what that's about, there you have it. She was known much earlier to the Aztecs as Mictecaswatl, the wife of the Lord of Darkness, Mictian Tectil, and she is the protector of souls in the dark underworld, which is also known as the place of the dead. This is a very ancient idea, could go back as far as 5000 BCE in Aztec times, and the practice of honoring the dead was so important that back in the 12, around 12, 1500, when Cortes conquered Mexico, they discovered people devoting an entire month, the entire month of August, to celebrating death and memories of the dead. The Catholics subsequently moved these rituals from August to October 31st, November 1st and 2nd to coincide with All Hallows Tide, All Saints and All Souls Days. And we can appreciate there the shared sense of a need to pray for the dead. But there are very different attitudes here because the Aztecs didn't separate life from death. In their view, the other world is also our common home. Earth is lovely, and we're meant to enjoy it, but it's transitory. Here, they said, we are warm but dreaming, and all that you have is merely lent to you. They thought that we become truly awake in death because we are in possession of knowledge of the mysteries. And the ancient one said that a person who died became a god. Now, the Aztecs had three different places that you could end up, not one heaven or underworld. And where you went depended on how you died, not on your relative virtue. In Mixla, which is the Nuatl word for underworld, you would meet the Lord and Lady of the Dead. And all of the people who died a natural death went there. But it was a very long journey through nine levels, and there were a lot of obstacles. So this typically took four years to complete. The living helped the dead do this by burning the body, burning belongings and tools, clothing, and a yellow dog who would take you across the water in the place where the nine rivers meet when you got to the last leg of your journey. The living would assemble and burn some semblance of these belongings ritually every year for four years in order to support your journey. And then hopefully you had made it. You'd arrived at the nine rivers. You looked for your dog. He'd recognized you and come and carried you across at which point then you disappeared and you were no more. A second uh, underworld or land of the dead was the paradise of the god of rain. And this is where people who drowned or were struck by a thunderbolt or died of swelling type illnesses went. Their bodies were not burned, they were buried. And this was thought to be a place of great wealth and no suffering. And then finally, the third and most exalted place 
was reserved for those who died in battle, sacrificial victims, people who gave their lives up for the other for others, and women who died in childbirth. These people went to the house of the sun god in the heavens, which was imagined to be a vast, empty space. And after four years of kind of hanging out there, you turned into a beautiful bird, like an oriole or a hummingbird, and returned to the earth in that form to sip sweet nectar from the lovely flowers for the rest of eternity. There are a lot of hummingbirds flying around our house these days, and I'm going to imagine them as spirits from this realm. Now, the Aztecs understood the story of the world as a repeating pattern, and our job was to savor the past and understand something about the future by listening to these stories. The mythologies and the legends that we have, then, revolve primarily around turning points, the end of a cycle or the start of a new one, a time when things hang in the balance and the gods intervene. We don't have stories about Mixtecaswatl, so I'm going to tell you some of what I've learned about Quetzalcoatl, who was a god, ruler, priest, and a very important figure in myth and legend, because he met her and her husband. This began with the Toltecs, a very mighty empire before the Aztecs, and the Aztecs inherited many things from them, including this opposing, or rather interlocked, dynamic pair of divinities called Quetzalcoatl and Tezcatlipoca. Quetzalcoatl was benevolent. He was a priest. And Tezcatlipoca was known as a troublemaker and sorcerer. Now this is my version of the story of the cosmic ages and the rescue of the precious bones. And I want to recommend a book called Native American Spirituality, edited by Miguel Leon Portilla. If you are interested in this topic, there's some translations of the work of poets and the words of sages that have been preserved that are really quite beautiful, in addition to historical survey and other information. Quetzalcoatl, the feather or plumed serpent, associated with the planet Venus, with the wind, with the earth, fertility, crafts, and knowledge, was paired up from the beginning with Tezcatlipoca, whose name means smoke in the mirror or smoking mirrors. They were present at the creation of the world, at the creation of all five worlds, actually. This is the fifth. And with each world, there was a gradual perfection of human beings, plants, foodstuffs, and the balance or the harmony between the primal forces was established. The dual God, the all-begetting Father and Universal Mother who have always been, gave birth to these two gods and the rest of a pantheon of gods. In the beginning, there were four sons called smoking mirrors. One was white, one was black, one was red, and one was blue. And so here we have Tezcatlipoca at the beginning as the black mirror, associated with obsidian, the shamanic tool for prophecy. 
These primordial forces, these four smoking mirrors, were supposed to work together to create all that is, earth, sky, and human beings. And at first they did this, long enough anyway to make an earth and a tiny little sun. But Tezlatlapoca thought that he should be the sun. So he grabbed this tiny little sun and tied it around his middle. And the rest of them thought, okay. And they went on to make people who were giants. And these giants ate acorns from trees. And it was a very dangerous endeavor if you fell down because you could not get back up. But when the sun got to the top of the sky, it was suddenly very dark because the sun was too small and these people were just too damn big. And so after some time, Quetzalcoatl chased Tezcatlipoca with a big stick, knocked him out of the sky, and he fell into the ocean where he changed into a jaguar. That was World One. Now Quetzalcoatl decided to be the sun, and this was called the Wind Sun. And the people under this sun only had pine nuts to eat. Tezlatapoca, as a jaguar, ran up behind and kicked the wind sun out of the sky, which created this huge windstorm, uprooting trees, wrecking everything, and all of the people, who were not really worth preserving, blew away except for a few. And those few remaining people became monkeys. So now the second sun and the second world was gone. And the rain god decided to try it, and he became the rain sun. The people that lived then couldn't find anything to eat except for river corn, which is not the same thing as the corn that we know that hadn't been discovered yet. And they were suffering. So at last Quetzalcoatl sent a shower of fire and hot stones down that burned the earth. And even the sun went up in flames. The few people who escaped this horrendous fire were changed. They ran all over the blackened earth in the form of turkeys. Now Quetzalcoatl asked the wife of the rain god to become the fourth sun, and she agreed to do this, and so now we had the water sun. There were many people this time, but they still had nothing to eat, and it rained all of the time. Finally, one year there was so much rain that the rivers flooded, they rose over the tops of the mountains, and everything was drowned except for a few people who were changed into fish. It rained and it rained so hard that the sky fell down onto the earth. When it finally stopped raining, Quetzalcoatl and Tezcapatl each took a corner of the sky and they turned themselves into trees. As they grew, the sky was slowly pushed back up into its rightful position above the earth. And when this had happened, the two let go of the sky and reclaimed their spirit form and marched around proclaiming themselves the rulers of all that they saw. Now we have the fifth world. And this earth was dry, but the spirits were troubled because it was very dry and there weren't any people. While they were thinking about this, Quetzalcoatl went down to the land of the dead to see about the bones of the humans who went before. He went to the Lord and the Lady of the Dead and said, those are very precious bones that you are keeping 
and I would like to have them. Well, the Lord of the dead said, why? Why do you want the bones? And Quetzalcoatl said, the spirits are worried, and they keep asking who's going to be the people. All of the gods are concerned that somebody should be living on earth. Very well, said the Lord of the dead. If you sound my conch shell and go around my domain four times, you can have the bones. Now, the conch shell had no holes in it. So Quetzalcoatl called the worms to make holes in it for him. And then he called bees to fly inside and buzz and make a sound in the shell. And with this, he circled the domain of the dead four times. When he heard the sound, the Lord of the dead said, Okay, very well, go ahead, take the bones. But privately, he said to his servants, people of Mishlan, you can't let Quetzalcoatl take those bones. And Quetzalcoatl said, oh, I'm going to take possession of them, he thought. But when the people came to him, he told his alter ego, his other self, to tell them to go and tell the Lord that I won't take them after all. And the people the servants of the Lord of the Dead, said loudly, He says he won't take them. But then, of course, Quetzalcoatl did go and gather up these bones. The bones of the men were together on one side, and the bones of the women were together on the other side. And Quetzalcoatl took them all, and he made them into a bundle and carried them off. Now again, the Lord of the Dead asked his servants, is, are you sure Quetzalcoatl's not carrying away those bones? I, I'll tell you what, I want you to go and dig a big hole. And so they went and they dug this big hole. And Quetzalcoatl stumbled, frightened by a quail, and fell into this hole. He fell down into it as if he were dead. And all of the precious bones that he was carrying were scattered. And the quail chewed and gnawed on them. After a while, Quetzalcoatl woke up. He came back to his senses from the fall, and when he saw what had happened, he was very, very sad. He was full of grief, and he asked his alter ego, what should I do now? And his alter ego said, okay, this has not gone so well. We've gotten off to a bad start, but let's continue and see what happens. And so Quetzalcoatl gathered all of the bones back up and he put them back into the bundle and he carried them back up to the surface. When he got there, all of the other gods and goddesses gathered and there was a goddess there a mother goddess, a young goddess named Quitzalitzi. And she took the bones and ground them up very, 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 very fine in an earthen tub. And Quetzalcoatl bled on them. He bled on the ground up bones from his penis. Immediately, the other gods joined in. 
and from this paste of old bones and the blood of the gods, people like us were born. In the darkness between the fourth and the fifth suns, human beings like us were created. If we bleed for them, said the gods, then they will bleed for us. And if you know anything about Aztec civilization, you know that this reciprocal sacrifice was a central tenet of their society. I realize that this sounds barbarous to us now, but if you think about the idea of a god shedding his blood for you, then you may be able to find your way into this very, very old idea. It is, in fact, a reflection of a fundamental truth of existence, which is that life and death support each other. Whatever is alive kills to eat. And so this invisible realm supports our visible realm. There's a parallel there. And this story is a commentary on both. I mentioned the smoking mirrors when I was talking about the opposition of the gods. And so I want to make a note here that this alter ego referred to in the story can be understood as a spirit or animal helper in the shamanic tradition. Now, after Quetzalcoatl helped us become, helped create us, he went to rule in Tula, a magnificent city in the central highlands of what's now called Mexico, where a great pyramid was built for him. And Tula was a place largely populated by artists and craftspeople. Some say that Tula and Quetzalcoatl fell due to the influences of his foil, Tezcatlipoca, leaving Quetzalcoatl to wander the coastline of what is now Mexico. According to the history books, And let me just mention that these are history books that would have been primarily influenced by the Spanish. The Aztec emperor Montezuma, who was ruling at the time of Cortes, read omens that suggested that Quetzalcoatl had returned. And he was friendly to Cortes, believing that Cortes and the Spaniards were the gods. This is the most common version of what has happened, but let me just note that it's not 100% agreed upon as far as the truth. Which leads me back to the larger mystery. What lies behind this? We don't know. Our ideas and our beliefs about it, the stories that we tell, color our experience of life. That's true for history. That's also true for our encounters with the psychic or the mythic dimensions. I want to close with a few words from a poem that are in the same book I mentioned by a sage named Oyakuan, who is also from the highlands of central Mexico, and it was written in the 15th century. This is just the last part of this poem. Let us enjoy, O friends, Here we can embrace. We stroll now over the flowery earth. No one here can do away with the flowers and the songs. They will endure in the house of the giver of life. Here on earth is the region of the fleeting moment. 
Is it also thus in the place where in some way one lives? Is one happy there? Is there friendship? Or is it only here on earth we came to know our faces? I'm wishing you a happy Halloween and a glorious Samhain and many satisfying encounters with the mystery that sustains us. That's it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave for today. Feel free to contact me if you have comments or questions about today's program or mythology in general. You can visit Myth in the Mojave on Facebook or email me through my website, mythicmojo.com. I'm in the process of moving archives of the Myth in the Mojave programs onto my site in Bandcamp. I will keep you posted about this, but I'm pretty excited about it as it'll make it possible to stream without the site crashing and also to download your favorite programs. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week. And in the meantime, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life alive. Mm-hmm.